The Articulate Coven is the original, unofficial podcast and fan community for Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire and Anne Rice's Immortal Universe from AMC and AMC+. Hello and welcome to The Articulate Coven, episode 8. I am Joel Sharpton, your only host for this episode as um, our co-host, Ashley Wright Eiler has not caught up on the last couple of books yet. So I uh, I left her by the wayside. Uh, I, I think even if she had caught up on the last couple of books, I don't know that she would have swallowed this one as uh, quickly as I did. So I wanted to jump in, though, right away for a couple of reasons. I really wanted to get an episode out yesterday. It was actually Anne's birthday. So happy birthday to the founder of this feast, the queen of our coven, uh, Anne Rice, and uh, thank you so much for all the wonderful work that you've given us over the years and that you continue to give us as we get ready for the TV series, The Vampire Chronicles. Uh, We are the unofficial podcast and fan community for The Vampire Chronicles, The Vampire Lestat, and Anne Rice's work in general. In particular, we are focused on covering the new TV series that is forthcoming from Anne Rice, Christopher Rice, Paramount Television, and Hulu. It's going to be on Hulu. Uh, we don't have a production date even yet, let alone an air date, but uh, things are rolling along nicely there. Today, though, this episode, we're going to be discussing the newest iteration or the newest um well, the newest novel in the Vampire Chronicles series. It's called Blood Communion, and it's out now. It it was out at the uh, first week of October. I think October 2nd actually was the date that it was released. But um, I picked it up in audiobook form. I had pre-ordered the audiobook through Audible. And so overnight, uh, as I awoke, I had this notification waiting for me. Bing, your book is ready. (laughs) You want to jump in and listen to it? And so I did. I downloaded it right away, and that day and the next day, instead of listening to podcasts, whenever I had an earbud in and whenever I wasn't editing something, I was listening to Blood Communion. It's a very short book. The audio, and by the way, I should say all of this conversation at first is going to be spoiler-free, so don't worry, even if you haven't read the book, uh, or even if you're not caught up on the last couple of books, we're not going to spoil anything for you, uh, not, not in a major way or even really in a minor way. So don't fear. As a matter of fact, there'll be a big chapter marker when we begin to talk about spoilers, so it'll be easy for you to stop the podcast at that point and save it for whenever you do get caught up. But this book in particular is shorter, not only than the some of the older books, like the one that we're about to cover in our next regular episode. We're going to be talking about The Queen of the Damned, that novel, the third novel in this series, uh, is huge, both in scope and in actual size. Uh, and then, of course, Anne's written even bigger books like The Witching Hour, which is just monstrous. And, uh, of course, a lot of modern popular authors, people like George R. R. Martin, write these tomes. You know, there's the Wheel of Time series. Uh, Robert Jordan, I believe, is the author there. And those books are, are gigantic as well. So by those standards, this is a small book. But even by the standards of the last couple of books, Prince Lestat and Prince Lestat, Realms of Atlantis, I think this is a a smaller, both a smaller story in scope, but also a smaller story in the actual physical size of the book. The audiobook is uh, just over nine hours long, and uh, it was a, a super quick read. One of the things that I mentioned on a previous episode, and I've mentioned it in our Facebook group as well, which, by the way, you can join us anytime, articulatecoven.com. That's our primary website, or go to specifically articulatecoven.com slash Facebook to join our Facebook group. And I've mentioned in all those places that uh, there was going to be a switch of narrators. I I can't remember precisely when this got announced, but it uh, got announced a while back that Eric Shaw Quinn, 
who is a, a good friend of Christopher and Anne. He is the co-host of a podcast with Christopher Rice. Eric Shaw Quinn was going to be narrating the new book. Simon Vance has been the narrator, I believe, on every novel of the Vampire Chronicles, at least every one that features Lestat. And I believe he did the current version of Interview with the Vampire that's available if you want to buy the audiobooks. It's Simon Vance all the way. I said I was concerned about that. Uh, first of all, it felt like a little bit like nepotism because Eric is a friend uh, and, and Simon might not be. I don't know. Simon's just a, a professional. But also, um, I had grown to really love Simon's portrayal of these characters, and so I was concerned about that. Uh, here's what I'll say. Eric Shawquin is a very gifted and he is a thoroughly capable narrator, but he does zero accents. He uses his own voice throughout and just uses em- emphasis, tone. Um, he acts out the phrases, but they're all, or the sentences, the dialogue, but they're all in his own voice. He never puts on a voice at all. Now, I'm not talking about like full on performances for each individual character. I don't do that in fictional books where I am the narrator. And it's not even really what Simon Vance does, I would say. However, um, Simon does have a very specific voice that he puts on for Lestat. And since the vast majority of this book and all of the Vampire Chronicles are in Lestat's voice, it is very compelling to hear it, particularly when he uses archaic phrases, which Lestat does sometimes as he's speaking directly to you as the narrator. He uses some some phrase that is out of place in the modern world, and that sounds better coming through that slight French accent that Simon does in my ear than it, than it does when Eric does it. I am never not aware that someone is reading to me when in Eric's performance here, whereas with Simon Vance's performance, that was often the case. Often, it becomes Lestat in my ear telling me the story. And that's that's a really magical thing when you can have that sort of synthesis of the way that these books are written and the way the narrator can deliver it. I'm sort of sad to see that go. It'll be interesting to see what the popular response is and whether or not Eric continues to do these books as they move forward. I think it's very clear that there will be more of them. Uh, and uh, that's not a spoiler, <laughs> but, uh, when we get the next vampire chronicle book, will Eric also read that audiobook, or will they return to Simon Vance? That's, it's going to be an interesting question to me. Maybe that's more inside baseball since I'm also a narrator. Uh, but it's something that I thought about. All right. Why don't we go ahead and do our non-spoiler story discussion? We're going to talk specifically about the story, but all in a very non-spoilery way. Okay. First and foremost, if you have enjoyed the last couple of books, the last two in particular, Prince Lestat and Prince Lestat Realms of Atlantis. If you've enjoyed those books, if you've read them and enjoyed them, you're all set. Stop right here. Go buy, if you haven't already, a copy of uh, Blood Communion. Read it and enjoy it uh, without reserve. Um, go, go get it. It is absolutely of a piece with those two books, and you will enjoy it quite a good deal. If you have read those books, but you haven't enjoyed those books, or perhaps you haven't read those books specifically because of some story plot you've heard that uh, suggests to you that you might not enjoy it, and so you've just decided to skip them so far, let me suggest that this book, Blood Communion, might be a good place to jump back on. First and foremost, if your primary problem with the last two books was some of the new 
quote-unquote ancient vampires. I'm talking about vampires from those first few generations, the first brood, and uh, there's a there's a different name. Um, the first brood, and they call they call them two separate things. Anyway, the other vampires of the age of Cayman and Maharet and Makare, there were several of them in the last book that were sort of introduced. If you weren't a fan of that, uh, well, I'm sorry, this one's not going to fix your problem. Um, many of those characters have a great deal to do with this story in particular, so so um, it's not helpful there. However, if your primary issue in the last couple of books was the new wrinkles that Anne has added into the vampire mythos, those sort of the creation story, as it were, then this book largely leaves those in the rear view. She mentions them in a very clear sort of catch you up sort of way. That's another reason why I say this is a good sort of jumping on place. If you've missed the last two books, you get caught up on all the particulars of what has happened as far as you need to know it with the story moving forward. And then if that interests you, you can always go back and fill in. But not only she mentions it there, she also mentions it sort of, or it's used that, that some of that new wrinkle in the mythos or the, the Genesis story, uh, those new wrinkles are used as an inciting incident perhaps for the overarching narrative of this story, but they are far in the background. None of that stuff really is foreground in this story at all. It can be easily ignored. You can sort of headcanon it into whatever form you want it to be that makes it more palatable for you. Very, very convenient, I think. Again, makes this a good jumping on point if you haven't read or didn't really enjoy the last couple of books. So here are my big pros as far as spoiler-free goes. Lots and lots of Armand in this story. He's got a lot to do. He's central to the storyline. Lots of Lestat. Lots of vampiric powers on display. There's going to be a lot of good special effects in the TV version of this. It's going to be awesome. Uh, It has a very tight, concise narrative. There's not a lot of large pot or plot holes to get caught up in. Things move along at a good clip. It was uh, It's one of the reasons why I was able to, to read it or listen to it in basically two days. It moves fast. It moves very fast. Not only is it short, but it moves fast. So here are my big cons. Again, spoiler free. It is very brief. It is a very brief book. It feels episodic in a way that I don't recall any of the old series or even the last two novels feeling. Uh, it's not that it's not a complete story, but it feels very much like one adventure in the life of someone who has many, whereas the other stories always felt like, even again, the most recent novels have felt like major events in the life of someone who does have a very eventful and exciting life. But these are so amazing that even even if this was the only thing that had ever happened to them, it would be novel worthy. This feels less than that, slightly. So yeah, it's, it just feels episodic, I would say. This feels more akin to, this is a book more on the scale of Pandora or Vittorio the Vampire, that short little novel. Uh, What do they call them? Other Tales of the Vampires or something like that. It feels more like that instead of one of the Chronicles proper, even though this advances the main narrative, features all the primary characters. I don't know. I wonder if this might not be the new plan for the books moving forward, you know, to keep their scope focused, write a new one every two years or so on a very regular schedule. Don't let them get big so that they don't go over time wise. And because of that, you turn them sort of more into episodic adventures. It, 
strikes me very much more like something like an author like Laurel K. Hamilton does with her series. There's nothing wrong with that. It just hasn't been what the Vampire Chronicles was so far. I'm a little worried that that's where we're headed. It's concerning. It's not inherently bad. doesn't mean that it's a death knell for our beloved Lestat in print or anything like that. Just just makes... It just is an issue in my mind. Uh, maybe my concern about the brevity just comes from having so recently finished The Queen of the Damned, which is only small if you compare it to The Witching Hour for size, literally and narratively, too. Um, anyway, if I'm going to rate this book, I'd give it three and three quarter stars out of five stars. Uh, it was solid. It was very solid. It w- isn't one of my favorites. Um I won't revisit it again until we talk about it again for this show. And when we do our full episode, I will, I will have listened to it again, but um, maybe even read it directly instead of listening to it the next time. But those are my thoughts. Those are my spoiler free thoughts. All right, here we go. Spoiler horn. All right. It's a new chapter. Did you see that? We're in our spoiler discussion now. So if you haven't read the book, if you have not read this book, please don't listen beyond this point. Okay. All right, are you still here? <laughs> okay. Spoilers. Spoilers. All right. So there is a point in this book at which uh Lestat is victorious. Rashomandis has been vanquished. And yet we're not really celebrating because we think the cost of this victory or the cost of this whole adventure has been the deaths of Marius and Louis, uh, or Louis and Gabrielle. And the, the thought occurred to me in between these reading sessions <laughs> that this was done deliberately, perhaps, because when they get to this point in the TV series, when they're 10 seasons, 12 seasons in or something, you really want to cut out some of the actors that have been around since season one or two, in particular, actors like Marius and and Louis, Gabrielle, they'd all be season one, at least season two actors. You could clear all their contracts, save a bunch of money. And I was so convinced that that was true. I got so angry at the idea that Anne had killed off characters for contract concerns in another medium of all things. And uh, I I literally wrote angry tweets about it. I saved them in a folder for later because I didn't want to spoil anyone right away. Um, I had never even considered the fact that it was going to be a fake out. In the end, it is, though. It's a fake out. These characters aren't dead, of course, and those characters are, are fine at the end of the novel. The real kicker here was that Armand remains alive at that point in the story. When you think that these three are dead, Lestat is victorious, Rashomandis has been vanquished. Armand's still alive. And in fact, there's a great scene between Armand and Lestat where they argue about these deaths and the fact that Lestat's sort of culpable for them because he hadn't defeated Rashomandis already or he hadn't allowed the tribe to defeat him. (laughs) It never occurred to me that if you were going to clear a contract or kill someone off to ease TV production of the series, it would be Armand since he's also a season one character, definitely. And he's also an eternal boy. I don't, that never occurred to me. So anyway, that was a a big hang up for me at that point. Up until then, I had enjoyed the book fine, but I got very mad at that point when it, when I was like, she's killed these characters and I think she's done it for the TV show. It's not the truth at all. Anyway, the finish of the, the book is actually quite satisfactory. 
the question of, as I mentioned in the non-spoiler stuff, in a hazy way, you know, the the new wrinkles to the mythos involve the children of Atlantis, the the replamoids, and if you want to sort of ignore that in this book, you can. However, it is clear in this book that that question is hanging over the the tribe of vampires moving forward. It's not resolved in any way, and yet the character that's that brings it up, Armand, that's what the argument is about, really, in the end, and. Uh, his concerns aren't settled. They're not answered. They're not responded to. And so they will come to a head eventually, you got to say. But otherwise, the new status quo for the Covenant of the Articulate is one of peace and understanding. And, you know, the fledglings from all over the world are coming to the court and trying to be understood. Uh, Again, another, I think, plot point for a future novel, the current human slavery in the dungeons below Lestat's chateau. I don't don't think that's going to be tenable forever. It, It makes, like, they... They bring it up and they, it makes sense. It's the sort of thing that she's written herself and has written herself a, a lot of things in the creation of the court, I feel like, that are convenient answers to possible issues that you would have with such a thing. And she's done these things because she really wants this to happen. She wants this sort of gathering to exist and she doesn't want it to be easily poked apart by simple plot holes, but but it is a real, she's written herself a lot of convenient answers to those issues, uh, one of them being this human slavery question. I, I, I hope that she revisits it in the future in a novel, and even if they are, you know, drug dealers and, and pimps and, you know, killers and rapists, et cetera, et cetera, there's still people. There's still people torture in a cell is weird uh, for these good guys in this book, even if they are vampires. That's sort of my thoughts on it. Um, final thought is this. The fight with Rashomandis is going to be epic when we finally see that in season 10 or 12, as is there's one of the inciting incidents when he's in the home in Louisiana uh, um, at the beginning. I can't remember the character's name, but when he's, he goes to visit the elder vampire that lives in Louisiana and it, the house gets torched by... Um, well, a different bad guy. It's actually not Rajamandis. But anyway, one of the other minor characters in this novel, when he destroys the home and tries to attack Lestat, that scene's going to be really awesome on TV, too. So they've set themselves up some great adventure and action in this one. And I do wonder if this is what we should expect moving forward. Sort of bite-sized adventures, lower stakes, perhaps, um, more intrigue in the court, and, uh, yeah, I do also worry a little bit now about potentially killing off some of these characters for contract reasons. Although I guess if you're going 14 seasons deep, like she almost is now, maybe it doesn't matter anyway. Okay. That's my thoughts. I'd love to hear your thoughts too. Uh, for our eventual discussion of this novel in particular, I'd love for you to email me articulatecoven at gmail.com. You can email your thoughts. You can uh, post them in the Facebook group. If you want to, we can start a spoiler thread there for uh, blood communion and, uh, then, then post the thoughts in the comments. That way no one will be spoiled in the Facebook group if they don't want to be. And of course, the biggest thing that we want you to do is to share the show. If you have friends that love Anne Rice or Lestat or the vampire chronicles, or even just things that go bump in the night, this show might be for them. So why don't you share it with them? We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts as well. And of course, you can find us always at ArticulateCoven.com. 
In the next episode, we're going to be discussing The Queen of the Damned, the novel, Ashley Wright Eiler. My co-host will be back with me. It'll be a full-length episode, so stay tuned for that. It'll be in your feeds as soon as we can. Until then, I remain part, at least, of the Articulate Coven. Thanks for listening to The Articulate Coven. You can join our community on Facebook by following the links in the show notes or searching for Articulate Coven on Facebook. You can subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at articulatecoven.com and share us with your Anne Rice-loving friends. <laughs>